Yeah, I just want to take a moment to thank Pastor Matt, um, to thank Peter and Scott, uh, the elders, for allowing me to uh, preach this morning. Um, thank you to the church um, for giving me this opportunity. Uh, truly, it's a, it's a blessing for me to be here um, sharing the word with you. Um, so if you don't mind, uh, we're just going to um, go ahead and read uh, from God's word, and then we'll pray, and then uh, we will look into the text a little more. So beginning in uh, verse 5 of chapter 8 of Matthew. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you again and just pray for your guiding hand to be upon the word um, that is being preached today. Father, I pray that you would prepare hearts and open ears, Lord, to hear your word, that you would be glorified through this message, Lord, and that we would be edified through it. Father, we pray these things in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. So, for the past few months, Pastor Matt has been walking the church through the book of John, and as many of you know, we've taken a break for the summer to go to Second Peter, and today we are taking a break from that break to look at Matthew chapter 8. Now, I, I worked really hard trying to come up with an introduction that would be really, really cheeky, catchy, pithy, one-liner, something that would catch your attention, but I realized I don't really need to trick anyone here. Um, you're all intelligent and caring people uh, who want to just hear the word of the Lord. So, so that's what we're going to do this morning, is we're going to dig into God's word, and um, we're going to just try to answer this question. We're going to answer the question, what is saving faith? We're going to look at this passage, and we're going we're to try to understand what is saving faith. And this is, this is important. This is important because without saving faith, none of us can see heaven. Without saving faith, we are going to hell. So we're going to look at this story. We're going to look from this story at who Jesus is. We're going to look into his character, his nature. We're going to take time to look at, at the centurion, this, this man who comes before Jesus with faith. And then we're going to look at what that faith is, what faith truly looks like, what it means to have saving faith in Jesus. And finally, we're going to, we're going to find some ways to apply this text, to understand it in the context of our, our daily lives as Christians. And so we'll begin um, by looking at the narrative of, of this text, and um, this is set in the midst of, of Matthew's gospel, his retelling of the life of Jesus. And, and already in the gospel, we've, we've seen that, that Jesus has, has come into the world as, as Savior and as King. He's come into the world, and, 
and as he's grown, he's, he's been baptized. John the Baptist has baptized him in, in the Jordan River. He's been tempted, led into the, the desert um, to be tempted by the enemy. And now he's, he's begun his ministry, his ministry of word and deed, of preaching and teaching and doing, working miracles. And he's just given, in, in the previous three chapters um, preceding this, this section of, of Scripture, he's just given his great Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' first discourse, his first sermon, his first main and great chunk of teaching that he gives in his ministry and in his life. And in, in, in chapter 7, verse 28, it says this, he, he taught with authority. He taught with authority, not like the scribes that these people had heard teach, not like the other teachers who had, who had given the word to these people. But no, this man, this Jesus taught with authority. And I can tell you that, that preaching a sermon like that is hard work. If I could show you the sweat underneath my jacket right now to, to reveal to you that, that preaching truly is, it is, it is tiring. And so Jesus comes down from the mountain from preaching this great, long, full, powerful message. And he must be tired, and he must be weary. His human flesh must be waning in strength. And crowds are pressing in all around him. Later in the city, he will be nearly crushed, it says, by, by, by the people who are touching him. And just everyone is touching him, crowding around him. And yet, and yet Jesus has patience with the people who come to him. And he continues to teach, and he continues to heal. See, this centurion comes to Jesus in the midst of, of so many others coming to Jesus. Lepers, the blind, even the dead have been brought to Jesus to be healed. And the centurion comes just as one of many in need of the goodness and the kindness of a Savior. And this centurion brings to Jesus a paralyzed man, a servant, one, one who works for him, perhaps a slave, one, one who is very dear, though, to the centurion's heart. The centurion cares for him, and he comes to Jesus, and he says, Lord, my servant is suffering terribly. My servant is suffering terribly. He does not say, Lord, I need you to heal my servant so he can get back to work, but he recognizes his suffering. And Jesus says, I shall come and heal him. Or perhaps it was a question, shall I come and heal him? Jesus, Jesus offers, he makes an offer, he extends this, this olive branch to this man and says, I will come, I will heal him. And the centurion responds in a way that is truly remarkable. He refuses. Very few people can, can tell Jesus no and get away with it. I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> Would not recommend it to anyone. But this man recognizes the authority of Jesus. He's heard his teaching, whether first or secondhand, but, but he knows who Jesus is, and he knows that this man is one who teaches with authority. And so he says, no, no, Jesus, you need not come into my home. In fact, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. I am so small and insignificant compared to you that if you came into my home, I don't know what I'd do. He says, you need not come into my home, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. How strange of a response. But he refuses Jesus in order that he might proclaim Jesus' authority. 
And Jesus, of course, he knows, he knows that this is what the centurion is going to say. He asked that question, he made that offer in order that this man might reply in this way to point to Christ's power and his dominion. And so the text says that Jesus marvels. He marvels at this. There's only three times in the Gospels where, where Jesus is said to marvel. One is here. One is in Luke chapter 7. It's, it's a, a similar story. And the other is in, is in Mark, I believe chapter 6, um, where Jesus marvels at unbelief. He's rejected in his hometown of Nazareth, and he marvels. He cannot wrap his mind around how people could not believe in him. So here, Jesus marvels at this man's faith. Elsewhere, he marvels at lack of faith. But truly, this faith that the man has, this centurion has, when he comes to Jesus, is incredible. It is amazing. Not that Jesus is necessarily surprised, because I think he knew this man's heart. But he recognizes that there's something unusual, something peculiar about the kind of faith that would trust in a man that he barely knew. And to, to, to point to him as one with authority, as, as, as the Son of God himself. And so Jesus, he marvels, and he turns to the people beside him and around him, and he says, with no one in Israel have I seen such faith. With no one in Israel. There is no one who has faith like this. This is why Jesus marvels. So he begins to teach. He begins to teach the, the crowds that are following him, and he, and he points to the kingdom of heaven. He says, he says, people who have faith like this, like this man who trusts wholly and completely. They will enter the kingdom of heaven. They will recline at table with the fathers of Israel, with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. See, he says that the sons of the kingdom, a, a term for, 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 for the nation of Israel, for the Jews, they will be thrown into the outer darkness if they don't have faith like this man. They will be thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Jews felt entitled to salvation because, because of their lineage, because of their heritage, who their fathers were. And Jesus says, this, these promises that were made to your father are being completed. They are made full in Jesus himself. Put your hope and your trust in him. If you have faith like this man, then you too will recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Old Testament reading um, that Hannah read for us this morning um, was from Malachi chapter 4. And in, and in that reading, he says, For you who fear my name have faith in me, that is. The sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. These are the people, those who trust in him and fear his name, who have faith in him, who will inherit the kingdom of heaven. And so, because of this man's great faith and because of the goodness and the kindness of God, the servant is healed. If we look at just a few uh, verses later in this chapter, after Jesus has healed even more people, in, in verse 17, it, um, Matthew points to Isaiah chapter 53 and says that, that Jesus has fulfilled the prophecy that he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Truly, he has taken on the illnesses and the diseases and the sickness of the world. 
and of this man. And so as, as, as we've taken the time to unpack what, what's in this narrative, I, I want to look, look at this man, this, this man Jesus who is God, who takes our, our, our guilt and bears our shame. I want to look at who he is in this text and what we can understand about him. So, so first, first about, about Jesus, I want us to recognize and to understand that he's a teacher. He's a teacher. Um, his, his followers would have, would, have, would have been calling him rabbi. He was a rabbi, one who traveled around and taught the word of God. He's just given that great sermon on the mount, that, that sermon that was greater than any sermon that Matt's ever preached, I'm sorry. Greater, greater even than, than Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, he, he, he was called. That No sermon could compare to what Jesus has taught. He truly is a teacher and a good one. He takes the time to look to his followers, to the crowds around him, and to say, look at this man's faith. He teaches them. In the moment of his healing, this man, he teaches those who are around. Truly, Jesus is a teacher. Even, even at the end of this passage, he says to the, to the centurion, he says, go, um, let it be done for you as you have believed. Even in that moment, he has pointed this man, this centurion, to his faith. He's teaching him. He's teaching us always. Second, from this passage, I think that we can see that Jesus is a savior. He's a healer. See, the the physical healing that's taking place here is glorious and real and true. But to you and I, it reveals the spiritual healing that is going on inside of us when we are forgiven of our sins. See, this is more than just a healing this is more than just a healing. This is about a man putting his faith wholly in Jesus. See, the, the paralytic, this, this servant who is, who is stuck at home in bed and is suffering terribly, he's been set free of his, his malady, of his ailment. And in the same way, we are set free from our sin and the weight of it if we trust in Jesus like the centurion. See, you can only trust and, and, and receive salvation from a good and a true Savior, a permanent Savior. And the third, the third thing that I think we can see very clearly about Jesus is that he is a ruler. He reigns. He points to the kingdom of heaven. He points to the kingdom of heaven as the result of faith. And the, 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 the centurion points to Jesus and he says, You have authority. You have authority. You have authority over creation, over, over the, the laws of nature, of, 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 of sickness, even death. He says, you have authority. You have authority over man, over, over the hearts of men and women, over the hearts of his people. He has command even over heaven itself, this great and glorious place. Jesus is ruler over all of these things. He reigns over them all. John Calvin puts it, puts it this way. Jesus has three offices. The three offices of Christ are, are, are these. He is prophet, he is priest, and he is king. And I think in this text, in this text specifically, we can very clearly see these three offices being fulfilled in Jesus. See, because if Jesus is, is a teacher, then he is a prophet. Because the prophets brought the words of God to the people. They taught the words of God to the people. And Jesus is the very word of God himself. 
He brings the words of God to the people of God as the word of God. And Jesus also is a priest. If Jesus is a savior, then he is a priest because the priests in the Old Testament are the ones who who offer sacrifices on on behalf of the people, who make atonement for the sins of the people. And Jesus has become the atonement for the sins of his people in becoming the unblemished lamb that will be sacrificed, that has been sacrificed on our behalf to atone for our sins. And Jesus too is the king as ruler over all. He is the king. See, in the past, men of God ruled over God's people on behalf of of God himself. But now God has come through Jesus in the flesh to reign as king over his own kingdom. See, Jesus is a teacher, yes, He is a a savior, yes. He is a ruler, yes. But he is more. He's the perfect type of each of these things. He's the perfect type of of a teacher, of a savior, of a ruler. See, he's not just a teacher, but the teacher. He's not just a savior, but the savior, one and only. He's not just a king, but he's the king. Friends, do you understand these things? Christ is is for us, Lord and Savior. He is teacher and king and ruler. Jesus has become for us the word of God. He has taken on flesh in order that he might be for us these things. And so, and so we've looked now at, at Jesus, mighty and holy, But who is this man, this centurion, who comes to him? Who is this man that would approach the Holy One of Israel with confidence? Who is this centurion? Well, well, first, he's, he's caring in this moment. He's caring in this moment for his servant. See, he sees the suffering of a, of, of a fellow man, and he wants to see this man returned to a a life, a full life of goodness. And so he seeks Jesus' power and he seeks Jesus' kindness, which he recognizes in 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 the Lord of all. But but the centurion, of course, is he's a Gentile. He is not a Jew. He is unclean in the eyes of the temple and the priests and the Pharisees. See, he was an outsider in this community. He, he was one who had come in and was supposed to maintain order and rule in this, in this place. And Jesus, Jesus in, in, in chapter 15 of the, this same book, will say that his ministry is to Israel. A woman, a Canaanite woman, will bring her daughter to be healed to Jesus and, and will say to him, Lord, won't you heal him? And, and, and Jesus says, it's not right for the master to feed the dogs when his children are at the table. And she says, no, but, but even the dogs get the scraps from the master's table. And Jesus says, you're right. Let it be done for you as you have believed. See, see Jesus is, 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 is at this time preaching to the Israelites. He's preaching to the Jews. And yet, and yet this Gentile comes to him. This Roman man, this reminder that, that these people are under slavery and oppression this soldier, this violent man of war, this centurion who's, who's, who's in command of, of likely a hundred men, he comes to Jesus. He comes to Jesus. And he says, Lord, I understand how the chain of command works. 
He says, I'm a soldier. I know what obedience and loyalty and authority look like, and I see it in you. He says, I see it in you, Lord. This man has incredible faith, and that is why Jesus listens to him. Jesus knows his heart, and he gives to him what he's asked for. The servant is, 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 is healed and is saved because of this man's faith and the goodness of God. Friends, this centurion could be you or could be me if only we would put our hope and our trust and our faith fully in Jesus himself. So what is that? What is that, that trust and that, that hope? What is that faith that we put in Jesus See, because the centurion, he's, he's put forth as, as an ideal, as a, as a really great example of what a disciple should be. One who follows Jesus closely, who comes to Jesus. He comes to Jesus as, as Savior and says, Lord, I know you're willing to heal and to save and to help. And he, he, he believes, he's the ideal believer in Jesus because he comes to him and says, I know you're, you're capable, you're Lord it says, you are Lord and Savior, you are capable and willing. These are the things that are coming from, from the heart of this man. And he shows to us, he shows to us very clearly in, these, in this passage, in these words, um, three aspects of, of what faith is. Now, these, these three aspects are, are Latin, Latin words. They're very technical, theological terms that, that come out of the, the, from the Reformers. And um, if you want to read more about them, R.C. Sproul um, talks about them in Truths We Confess, or Spurgeon in his um, All of Grace. These are, are great sources but um, for you to check out. But, but I think we should focus in on, on what these words mean. And, and the first is this. The first is this. The word is notitia. Notitia. N-O-T-I-T-I-A. And it means notice. Notitia. Notice. It means knowledge. See, the centurion notices who Jesus is. He knows who Jesus is. He sees him. He says, I too am a man under authority. Because it takes one to know one, right? It takes one to know one. He, he, he has authority, so he recognizes it in Jesus. He knows Jesus has power and dominion. And second, second, we can see clearly in this passage the, the idea of a census. A census, A S S E N S U S, and this is this word is, is related to our English word assent. Assent. He gives assent to Jesus. He believes that that not only does this man have authority, but that his authority is true. It's absolute and it is divine. He says in in verse eight. He says, "I am not worthy for you to to come under my roof, but say the word and, and my servant will be healed." He recognizes that this man has divine power. Not just that he has some power, but he has all power. And he believes and ascends to that truth. He recognizes it. He acknowledges it. And yet these things are not enough. In, in James chapter 2, we read that, that even the demons believe and shudder. Even they know who God is. Even they believe in him. And yet they don't trust him. They don't trust him. That's that's the final, the final aspect of faith that is, that is seen in this passage and, and, and is seen in, in the lives of Christians everywhere is, is the word fiducia, fiducia, F-I-D-U-C-I-A, fiducia. He entrusts himself. Fiducia means trust. And so he, he puts himself under 
the authority of Jesus. He puts himself into the care of Jesus. The fact that this man, this centurion, even comes to Jesus at all means that he trusts him. In verse 5, it says he came to him appealing to him. You don't appeal to a doctor that you don't trust can help you. He knows that Jesus is Lord. He knows that Jesus is God. He knows that Jesus is good. And so he trusts him. See, see those that, that, don't, that don't have these three things, that don't have faith in God, they will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says this very clearly in, in verses 11 and 12. He says, he says, the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. He says, many will come from east and west to recline at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Many will come and have faith who are not Jews, who are not from the nation of Israel. Only those who have faith, regardless of their heritage, are going to be saved. John uh, 3.18 says this, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Friends, it is only if we have faith in Jesus himself that we can enter into the kingdom of heaven. And only is this worked through the goodness and graciousness of God. He alone can save those who have faith. He alone draws to him those who have faith. And friends, this kind of faith, it makes Jesus marvel. Jesus marvels at this kind of faith, this kind of faith that is so incredibly trusting, that is so incredibly caring for, for, for who the Savior is over him. Jesus marvels at saving faith. And so, as we've, as we've looked at who Jesus is, and we've looked at who the centurion is, and, and, and who you and I are as, 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 as um, those under Jesus' authority, and we've looked at what saving faith in, in Jesus is, and what it looks like, Let's try to apply these things to our lives. Let's try to understand how we can walk in these ways, how we can know these things in our hearts and use them. We're going to have seven applications, and I will try to keep the numbers straight. But the first, the first, friends, is this. Jesus wants you to come to him. Jesus wants you to come to him. He's drawing all people to himself See, when Jesus asks to come to the man's house, when he offers to come and heal the servant, he's eliciting a specific response. He knows the heart of the centurion. He knows that he has faith. He knows. But he wants to hear him say it. He wants to hear him say it. He wants this man to come to him, to confess him Lord and Savior. He wants him to rely on him completely. And friends, Jesus wants this for you too. He wants you to come close, to draw near, to abide with him. He wants you to come. Second application is this. Know, believe, and trust Jesus. Put your faith in him completely. Know, believe, and trust Jesus. See, see I don't know Greek yet. Okay, If you have questions about this Greek, you'll have to ask Matt. But, but, I, but I know a little Spanish close enough. I know a little Spanish, and, and in Spanish, um, there's two words. There's two words for the word know, to know. These, these verbs, saber 
and conocer. Okay, saber and conocer. And saber is, is it's impersonal. It means to know ab- about. So, so you might say that, that you know some facts. That's saber. Okay, I, sorry, I'm really sorry, but I am a Green Bay Packers fan. I know, yeah, thanks, thanks, Andrew. I know I don't fit in well here in that way, but, but I know that Aaron Rodgers got traded to the New York Jets. Okay, and I know that Jordan Love, is the new quarterback, is going to step up and do a really great job. I know these things. And, and I could tell you all the statistics about, about these two football players and, and what they've done. I could tell you all about them. If you want to talk football, see me after, this, after the service. Um, but I don't know those men. I don't know them. I just know about them. I simply know about them. And some of us, some of us, we know about Jesus, but we don't know him. See, the other, the other verb in Spanish is conocer. Conocer. This is the verb that we use when we say, like, we've met someone. We've, we've met them. We've come to know them personally. Maybe a friend or, or a coworker or a family member. You, you, would, you would use conocer. It's personal. It means that you know this person well and intimately. See, friends, this is the kind of knowledge of Jesus that we ought to seek. We should know Jesus. He's supposed to be closer to us than a friend. Closer than a friend, like a brother, an older brother. See, we should lean on him and know him really, really well. We should know him so well that we can't help but believe in him. We can't help but believe, believe that, that he's the son of God, that he died on, a, on the cross for our sins and that we, he was raised to life, that he, he bears the weight of our transgressions. We can't help but believe those things if we know him real well. And if we know him and if we believe in him, we won't be able to help but trust in him, to trust in him, to trust in Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus of the Bible, not a Jesus that we've constructed in our own minds or heads, but to know personally Jesus Christ, the man who is fully God. See, and if we do those things, then what's going to happen? Jesus is going to marvel. He's going to look at that and say, oh my goodness, wow, how incredible. How incredible. See, if you know and you believe and trust in Jesus, you will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Which brings us to our third application, our third application, which is this. Recognize your need for a daily Savior. So you can't know, you can't believe, and you can't trust in someone that, that you don't really think that you need, someone that you think you can get by without. See, the centurion, he, in this passage, he recognizes that, that there's nothing that he can do to help his servant. He's been feeding him, putting his feet up on a little pillow. He's been taking care of him. But he can't help him. He can't save him. He can't change him. He can't give him the fullness of life that he seeks. No, only God can do such things. And if we think that, that we can heal our own hearts, if we think that, that we can do these things on our own, then you probably don't know Jesus. And you probably don't know the, the, the sinful nature of your heart, the brokenness that's in your heart. See, if you recognize these things, you'll see that you need Jesus, you need Christ himself to intervene on your behalf because you're like the servant too, helpless, totally reliant on the grace of God, totally reliant on the grace of God. Fourth, perhaps some of you are, are here today and you're, you're having some doubts, you're having some questions. Well, fear not, this grace is for doubters too. 
This grace is for doubters too. This grace that comes when we put our faith in Jesus. Like the man who, who came to Jesus with, with a son who was possessed. And he came to Jesus and he says, Lord, won't you heal my son? And, and Jesus says, do you believe? Do you believe that I, I can heal him and that I will? And the man says this. He says, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe. Help my unbelief. And this ought to be our prayer. Day in and day out, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. If you're having doubts and if you're having questions, still trust in the Lord. Still trust him and pray that he would help your unbelief and he will. He will work his will for you in your life only by his goodness and mercy. So, many of you are likely thinking, Owen, this is great. We're glad you're here. But why does this matter to me? I have put my faith in Jesus. I did it a long time ago. I know him, I believe in him, and I trust in him. Well, friends, if, you, if, if those things are true, and if you recognize truly that, that Jesus is, is king, that he's the Lord of all, then, then, then you should know that Jesus is Lord and king over his whole kingdom over his whole kingdom, like, like the government, when they want to come and widen a road, they want to widen a road and that means it's going to cut into your yard. See, you could sit out there. You could sit there in a lawn chair and say, you're going to have to bulldoze over me. You're going to have to come right over me if you want to widen this road. No, friends, they have that right. Jesus has the right to claim imminent domain over his kingdom. Every part of it is his. Don't get in his way. Don't get in his way. Friends, Jesus is king, he is Lord. Submit to him, submit to him, and trust in him completely. That was point number five. Number six is this. Kings have a kingdom. Kings have a kingdom. And the kingdom of of God is made up of God's people, of citizens of heaven. See, salvation in this passage, it points us to the church. It points us to the church. Look at what, 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 what the setting of this narrative is. There's crowds of people gathered around following Jesus and listening to his words. Look, look what, Je- what Jesus points to as, as the result, the end of, of this faith. He points to a, a dinner table, a feast, with, with brothers and sisters reclining around, enjoying time together, yes, but more than that, the presence of the living God. See, this, this salvation is not ours alone. We are not meant to be lone wolf Christians, but we are meant to walk together to encourage each other in this faith, to not neglect the gathering so that one day we can gather together in this heavenly kingdom. Seven. Seven is this. If this is a kingdom, and if Christ is reigning as king over this kingdom, then like, then like, most, then like most kingdoms, he, he's not satisfied with its borders. He's not satisfied with its borders. No, Christ wants his kingdom to expand. This is a kingdom that, that, that has a mission, that has a goal. See, if you have this faith and if you have this knowledge and belief and trust, you may say to me, Owen, I've got these things back pocket right there. They're ready. They're good. Well, get them out. Pull them out because if you have this faith, then you must want it for others too. Don't you? Don't you want this faith for others? See, see, so many of us in our walks with Christ, we, we look at our inner sanctification, which is such a beautiful and a wonderful thing, but we neglect the brothers and sisters around us. 
First Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 15 says this, Be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And do this with gentleness and respect. Friends, we have to know what faith is in order to help lead others to it. We have to know who Christ is in, other, in order to lead others to him. In order that, that God's work might be completed in these people. See, these things, if, if, if we do these things, we will grow closer to the, to the living God and we will be made holy more and more each day. We will, be, we will be crafted into, into the image of God as he, as he intended us to be if we put our faith and our trust in him like the centurion. So as we, as, as we begin to wrap up and, and as I begin to conclude this, I just want us to remember to put our hope in Jesus, to, to have belief and knowledge in him and trust in him. And so I know you're all thinking, Owen, great. <laughs> Once again, you must have, since you didn't, come up with a cool introduction. You must have a wonderful conclusion. Well, I'm sorry to disappoint you once more. But I can't think of any better conclusion than, than to just return to the Word of God and share with you this from, from Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Friends, won't you live by faith? Let's pray. Father God, as we've, as we've heard your, your word preached this morning, Lord, as we've spent time in prayer, worshiping you, lifting up, prayers and petitions to you. I pray, God, that your, your word would just have been working in our hearts this morning. Lord, I pray as we, as we go from this place soon that, that your word will continue to work in our hearts, Lord, that it would, it would stew and that it would fill us, Lord, and that we would grow in it each day. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we submit to you fully this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.